it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. There have been many well-received duos throughout popular culture over the years, Abbott and Costello, Batman and Robin, the Captain and Tennille. Brian Andrews and Jeffrey Wilson make up the best-selling team of Andrews and Wilson, and they've joined us here today to talk about their latest book. Gentlemen, welcome. Great to be here with you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no thanks problem. for having us on. It's great to have you here. I know we'll be able to learn a lot from you. What do you what can you tell us about your latest book? Well, our latest book is Tier One Number Seven. Uh, it's titled Dempsey. And for those of you who are Tier One fans and the listeners who've read any of the books in the series, you would know that John Dempsey is the protagonist of the series. He's the hero. Um, and so this book uh, is self-titled because it really takes us in a great direction with John. You know, over the last three books, uh, you know, he's been on quite a journey. And this one really, instead of going, you know, bigger, 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 like we tend to do with each book in the series, we kind of took that microscope and decided to really narrow in on John. And this one's about the struggles and difficulties he has on what, what I would call an impossible mission. Yeah, I'll say, you know, just a full disclosure, one of the things that was uh, difficult as we approached this one was, um, you know, something we do different than uh, other thriller writers is we don't believe as Navy veterans, we don't like that lone wolf rogue guy premise, right? Like it, right. Brian likes to say as a submarine officer, you can't have one superhero guy driving an $8 billion submarine. It takes a team. And in, and in my background with a special warfare community, one guy doesn't go in and take down bin Laden. And so right. to showcase Dempsey was a challenge because we've always portrayed him from that lens, that team before self, mission before self, being part of a team, being a leader. And so to have Dempsey sort of, we won't give any spoilers, but behind enemy lines doing something on his own, it's like, how do we can, how do we maintain that ethos and do this? And I think we found that solution, don't you, Brian? Like, so what, what he winds up doing is standing up his own team at, at the risk of telling you too much. Uh, he's mm -hmm. able to put a group around him that can help him achieve his mission. So that was kind of a struggle, but turned out to be a very fun aspect of this book. Right, because that's the kind of thing that you don't see in a lot of these types of stories or these roles. They do accentuate the lone wolf character and the guy can do anything, like the, the Rambo type of person. But it sounds like this book is more realistic in that it shows just how capable and resourceful um, an operator like this is. It's not just about guns and blowing stuff up and strangling some poor bastard in an alley someplace. It's about actually making sure you know how to, you can get the job done no matter what is in front of you, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. Yeah. So that's that, that's important. And that, that's that's a different take on, on the uh, character. I think that's why your series is as popular as it is. How do you guys enjoy writing with each other? Does one person do the outline? Does the other person fill in the blanks? How, do you take turns one chapter versus the next? How do you approach the collaborative process? Well, Brian likes to say that he writes all the nouns and I write all the verbs, but then the people just get confused. So 
Um, you know, it's we've been on panels with, uh, you know, Preston and Child and with Kathy Coulter and Ellison and uh, a couple of the other co-author teams to talk about just that. And what's interesting is when you spend time with a few different teams, you realize that everybody does it differently and right. no one team could do it the way the other people do it. And I remember someone asking us this question on a panel and we answered it and everyone looked at us like, well, that's impossible. It can't work that way. It's like, and yet here we are 25 books in. So um, <laughs> obviously our system works. What's strange about our system is, or our, our uh, sort of method is that we really do write simultaneously. So we're uh, equally weighted in every single paragraph, every single chapter of the book. And the way we do that is we, we're not plotters, we don't outline, but we do brainstorm together, which is the most fun part of the entire thing, um, mm. for a week or two about any book. And then we divide it into three acts. We're, we're a three-act structure kind of guys. And then we divide up the first act by chapters because we write multiple POV. So perhaps in part one, I'm writing uh, Kelso Jarvis and Lizzie Grimes, and he's writing Dempsey, and he's writing Munn, or, or however it shakes out. And he's writing chapter one, two, five, nine, eleven. I'm writing the others, and we're writing them at the same time, um, mm. which requires constant communication. So we're on the phone. We live a thousand miles apart, so we're on the phone with each other four or five times a day sometimes during that process. And then what's cool, and I think a little different, is every few chapters we swap mm -hmm. those chapters, and I rewrite oh. his, and he rewrites mine. And then we blend them together and put them into a master file and the book begins to grow. And then um, the, the real work I'll, I'll let Brian address, I think comes in editing and that's where our military background I think is most effective. Sure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as an author, you Terrence, you probably realize that a lot of the heavy lifting comes in the editing phase. You know, I think right. a lot of young authors try to and I can, you know, I can even speak from personal experience. When I first started, I felt like, oh, that first draft needs to be perfect. So you spend all this time, you know, fretting over every sentence and trying to get it right the first time through. But the fact of the matter is that's, that's an impossible task. So, right. you know, I think because uh, as, we, as we developed our method of co-authoring, you know, it really is gave us the freedom to say, hey, we just write, just write, get it out on the page, write whatever you want in the first draft, because yes. we know that the other guy's going to think of things that we didn't think of the first that I didn't think of. Jeff will think of things I didn't think of, and I'll think of things that he didn't think of. And right. so what happens is when you get to that first draft is done, instead of saying, oh, it's done, I can put the book away and turn it in. Now, actually, the hard work starts you go back and you look at that first draft and you say, how do I make this book more interesting? How do I make it more thrilling? How do I increase the stakes? How do I increase the conflict with the characters? And you really don't even know the characters, I would argue, until you've written the first draft anyway, right? It takes some time right. being in the headspace of those characters before you really get to know them. So it's on that second and third pass, those developmental edit times that we really take the book from, you know, here up to here. Right, exactly right. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it's not just about getting it right the first time, the, the magic happens in the editing, just as, as you said. It sounds to me like you both workshop the book between yourselves as you go along, and that's what adds to the, uh, the fun and the thrill of it for the reader. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, fun is the right word too. It's, um, you know, to be able to, I, I wrote by myself for years, like most people, and I love writing and the process of writing, but nothing prepared me for how fun it is to create something like this with your best friend and, um, you know, have that collaboration. Honestly, it may have ruined me. I'm not sure I could go back now to, to it's so much easier and it's so much more fun uh, as long as you're able to put ego aside and put the mission in the book ahead of that. It's so much more fun and, and uh, enjoyable to do it this way. Yeah, I certainly would speak for you, Brian. I don't, I don't oh, know. Oh, my master plan. That was my master plan. I was kind of waiting for you to nod, at least not agree. No, no, no. It was all part of the plan. <laughs> it's fantastic that you guys are, are, are now going to be part of the uh, iconic Clancy franchise. Do you, um, I guess it's good. Do you envision that there's going to be something of a learning curve for both of you? to be caught up on what's been happening lately in the uh, Clancy universe? Or do you think, think you'll be able to mold it into what you already do? I think the challenge of the Clancy um, estate, or the Clancy universe, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, is you know we're writing Jack Ryan senior number 24. So right. that means there's 23 books that have come before us in that series. And I think Jack Ryan Jr. is coming up on number 10. So that's quite a canon of material. You have, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a really impressive stable of authors who come before us too, with Mark Greeny and Mark Cameron and Mike Madden, and Don Bentley and Grant Blackwood. So, you know, everybody had a slightly different take on these characters. Uh, we just had a phone call with Tom Colgan, uh, who's our editor at Putnam, yesterday about this. You know. And he had some ideas about, okay, well, this author had this take on this character and this one had this take and, and you guys might have a, your own take, but, you know, the Clancy readership also has certain expectations about these characters and what they want to see. And so what we've tried to do is say, okay, we know what our peers have done. We respect it. We think it's great. And we are going to try to continue a lot of what they've done, but we've also said we're going to go back and look at, you know, Red October and Patriot Games and Clear Present Danger, and let's try to really, really hone in on what were those characters like in the earliest days, and what was Clancy's mindset for these characters, and try to do our best to capture that as well. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll add to that, you know, first of all, it is enormously, uh, overwhelming to think that you're writing in the space of one of the masters that made you want to be a writer to begin with right uh so right. that's it's flattering but it's also uh a bit intimidating tom colgan our amazing editor he we worked with him on the on the griffin project as well he really mm -hmm. is liberating in that he empowers you to to write as andrews and wilson and bring our voice to it uh, but like brian said we really want to after 24 books um it's no secret, I think, that our book will fall in 2024, which is the 40th anniversary of the first Clancy book with The Hunt for Red October. And so right. um, we really want to try to go back to the roots, not of the way he wrote, but of the way he honored the military and the covert operations community. And so we have been afforded access through the Navy and our partners over there. Being veterans uh, doesn't hurt, but they have been so uh, gracious in affording us access to you know, we just visited the Gerald R. Ford. We're going to be talking to submarine commanders and the 
uh, intelligence community within uh, the ONI and aviators. And what we want to do is we want to capture that fancy magic of using realistic knowledge of the military and how it operates to tell a thrilling story. Um, and I think that's what we set as our goal above all else when we talk about going back to the Clancy roots. It's the characters and it's that it's that flavor of, you know, realistic uh, military and covert operations uh, type of theme. So we're really excited and, you know, we're not going to give any spoilers about what we're writing. Um, Don't watch it though, no. You can, you can use your own imagination that it's falling on the 40th anniversary of Hunt for the Red October and how we might honor that anniversary. But um, it's really been a fun process already, uh, engaging the Navy and uh, other branches of the service to get some of these things right. Right, I would imagine so too. And then I work with Tom when I was part of the uh, Ralph Compton Westerns and he's, you're right, he's, he's a great guy to work with. And uh, I think he's a writer's editor and that he's always willing to pitch in and help with an idea or a suggestion wherever he can. And that can make all the difference. Yeah, he's huge in the industry for a reason, right? Like he's awesome, he's awesome. Yeah, no, he really knows what he's doing. Before we started filming, we were just talking about uh, Top Gun being a, a great recruitment tool for, for attracting Navy aviators. I was wondering, was there a similar movie for both of you before you, to, that inspired both of you to get into your respective fields in the Navy? I mean, we were just, I came up with that question because we were just talking about Hunt for Red October and I was imagining that might've had an influence on Brian's uh, choices. Yeah, it definitely did. So it's, it's that that's kind of what we were alluding to earlier that it's amazing that, you know, these, this book, this series from Tom Clancy, the, the first book was Red October. I mean, it influenced an entire generation of young men and women to want to join the Navy. And so mm -hmm. that's the book for me, Hunt for Red October really inspired me to want to join the Navy and, and become a submarine officer. So um, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> Yeah, Hunt for the Red October for me as well, but um, even though I didn't serve in the submarine force, just the way the covert operations community, the intelligence community, the military was portrayed in all of those books, as well as the, you know, some of the works by the older stuff by Ludlum and, and Lacar and people like that, who did a good job of, of writing a thriller that's exciting but restraining it within some realistic and mind-blowing technology and, and relationships and organizations that make you want to serve, whatever capacity. It makes you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. So um, that entire canon of Clancy Works is part of it for me, as well as some of the other thriller writers. Right. And, and based on his earlier stuff that I've read and based on a lot of the books of yours that I've read since, you definitely already have that flavor for how his earlier works were able to resonate with the with the reader and br bring them in, even though they were talking about something that most readers had never experienced, life on a submarine, life in, in the intelligence service. And you carry that all the way through your own works that, that the both of you have co-written. And uh, it's fascinating to see, it's clear that he had an influence on each of your writing careers as well. Even but as a writer, you can appreciate this. You know, the key to doing that, we learned very early, is 
uh, especially for the modern readers, because the readers today are not the same as the readers in the 80s and 90s, where you could spend a great deal of time explaining the technology. We have an impatient readership now, right? And they're, they, they want to get to it. And so if you want to be able to paint those pictures, you really have to do it through character. You've got to develop powerful characters and their relationships with each other and their families to make it compelling enough for people to want to go along on the ride. And so I feel like in our work, especially in the tier one and the Sons of Valor universe, um, that's what we tried to do. We tried to bring the reader in to these covert operations and military operations as part of the team with people they feel like they know and love and want to see what happens. So I think that that's what we'll try to bring to the Clancy, um, our, our shot at the Clancy universe as well. And certainly what we did in Dempsey, the book that comes out next week. Right. Yeah, when I, you know, when I first stepped on a submarine, my very first day, you know, no one took me around and was like, oh, you know, Ensign, this is this machine and this is what it does and here's how it works. And let me unscrew the panel and open it up and we're going to go through every circuit. No, like no one does that at all. They're like, <laughs> welcome aboard, you know, you're in stateroom such and such, like good luck, you know, and, and it's incumbent upon you. To, to have to figure out, you know, how do I now, how do I walk, where is everything on this boat? And what do I walk around and what does that person do? And, and you know, there is a, a massive training program, qualification program, but nobody hand feeds you and they're not spoon feeding you this information. So we try to take that same approach in our books, actually. Like, you know, we kind of want it to be like, you know, we've got a GoPro on and you're just sort of like going along with the character, like a life, a day in the life of, you know, John Dempsey. Um, and, and we don't, you know, someone as senior as John Dempsey, who has a lifetime of operating experience, he's not going to be thinking in his head, like, here's how I insert the magazine. It has rounds, <laughs> and, you know, you know he, he doesn't think those things, you know, that he, he understands his his trade, he understands the tools of his trade. He's not going to be ruminating on that. And I think when you do that, um, you know, it's sort of honoring your reader, right? You're not insulting their intelligence. You, you're giving them the credit that, hey, they're going to have to catch up, but we know they can do it. And we think right. that we think that that's been a successful approach. We think our right. readers like that. Yeah, I agree completely. And Terrence, this will this will resonate with you. What we've learned very quickly is that. Readers love to learn, but man, they hate to be taught. And so the moment, yes. the moment your prose starts going into explaining to them, it falls short. And so, you know, doing it through context, doing it through character, that's the key to the whole thing. Right. Yeah. You can layer in the facts, but as you're moving this, the plot forward, um, it's just like Gilmore Leonard said, leave out the parts that people tend to skip. And, yeah. right. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, when you... And, and we've well read thrillers uh, like Dan Brown's, for example. Guy, guy's got more money than God. God bless him. His stuff is is popular for a reason. But you can see those big chunks of exposition that he's done his research and he's proud of it, and he sticks it right in there and he puts quotation marks around it, and that's called dialogue. That's not dialogue. And it's, <laughs> uh, and, and especially too these days, as you were saying earlier, we had to compete with so much to keep people's vision yeah. literally right on the page because. If they're reading on a tablet or even if they're reading a book, they've got their phone libel right next to them. And sure enough, they'll, they get bored with you. They'll pick it up, go on Instagram or something else. Yeah, yeah. there's no question. I that's think you're, yeah. that's our biggest competition, isn't it? 
is you know the rapid fire instagram social media or just sort of shock media you know how do you compete with that and and i think we've spent a lot of time talking about this um and it's it's maybe i'm getting a little so serious here but i think it's important is that you know if you want to compete with that sort of stuff some of it a lot of it's mindless right a lot of it's just right. you know, trying to get that dopamine fear response in people you know our antidote to that is we want to write characters that have real problems and real hearts and souls and real face real moral dilemmas like our antidote for like the mindlessness is to give people you know something that maybe inspires them maybe challenges right. them as an individual to think you know what you know maybe when i'm at work i need to try a little harder or maybe you know the way i dealt with this person yesterday i didn't i didn't put my best version of myself forward i didn't handle that situation properly and it sounds a little corny because i know we're writing fiction and it's escapism but i don't think we would be as invested in our series if we didn't have characters that were heroic you know and i don't mean like in the superman sense i mean like in the navy seal sense like these are people mm -hmm. that are putting on their pants every morning and have to motivate themselves to do a really hard job and say goodbye to their families and go risk their lives and it's hard on them emotionally physically and they still get up and they do it every single day and so those are the type of people we want to write and i think the most successful books in that genre are the ones that get that right you know there's a lot of people who think who have never served like myself for example but there are people who think oh well they're they're in the military they're machines they do as they're told and that's it everything's black and white but books like yours and jack cars and and some of the earlier clancy novels they they talk about the human element of it and the the people that are actually doing the work and they're not machines they're not um they're not bricks of stone they're not just tools they have to do an awful lot of thinking while they're doing something like this and it, and that takes a special kind of person and i think when you accentuate that humanity of it like you both do in your series that's why you're successful because people can relate to that well that's your our hope <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it has been. I remember when I wanted to start writing my westerns and my thrillers, I, I said, I'm not a rancher. I grew up in the Bronx. That's where I got this French accent from. And I never <laughs> served in the military. But I had a friend of mine who encouraged me to write them anyway, because he said, you know what, you know, people. And that's what people want to read about. They want to read about somebody that they can root for. The other stuff you can always get later on. But if you don't have interesting characters, you're really starting behind the eight ball there. And that's that's not a good place to be. If people wanted to read your series, uh, your Dempsey series, is there? Can they read them in any order, or is there? A, would you would you encourage them to start on number one and then follow it all the way through? We we're very intentional about writing all of our books so that you can pick up any one book and enjoy it as a standalone. Um, and so for sure, that's true in Dempsey and and all the books that we write. There's no question that if you enjoy that book, you'll want to go back because there's some little Easter eggs there that are definitely more meaningful to people that have grown up with the characters. You know, Grimes and Munn are two perfect examples. Who they are in Dempsey, who they were in Collateral, definitely a different character than they started as. We tend to arc our characters and relationships out through the entire series rather than, right. you know, build them and leave them as they are. Um so you can definitely enjoy Dempsey or any of the books by itself. And we think that that uh, takes a lot of work to do, but we're proud of it. 
but yeah, there's a, there's a, some advantages of walking through from the beginning. Right. Right. I would imagine so. Yeah. Cause that's the challenge. I was just talking to James Rollins about that, about the difference between a series character and a standalone. And it's a mixed blessing. You know, we all love series as writers because it gives us more room to work. But then as the series advances, you kind of wonder, are people going to be put off that they haven't read books one through seven or something like that? So it's a it's a difficult balance to strike. But you both have seemed to have have struck it. Yeah, and I think uh, one of our techniques for doing that is, you know, if you think about the first book in a series, you're just dropped into that person's life. They're they're already alive. They have a whole backstory, you know, and um, and then you you start on that journey with them, whatever that time in their life is, whatever that challenge is in opening sequence of book one. And so, if you remember that when you're writing book seven, you say, okay, I'm just dropping the character into this person's life. They can catch up. You just have to do it in a way that, you know, you still are starting. You're, you're honoring the fact that some readers are starting that journey right here. There's still all that stuff that happened before, but it still needs to be a compelling enough story for them that they really want to latch onto that character in whatever book they start the series in. Exactly right. Exactly right. And it's uh, what do you envision for the future? I know you've got the Clancy uh, assignments coming up. Do you anticipate continuing the uh, the other series as well. I know it takes a lot of time to write each book. So I was yeah. just wondering what does the future look like? Absolutely. We um we definitely are are suffering under our blessings right now because it's a lot of work. Uh, we're writing about three or four books a year right now, which is uh, nice. Good that there's two of us. Uh, but uh, <laughs> within that is uh, yeah the Clancy is an amazing opportunity, but we will continue the tier one series as well as the spinoff Sons of Valor series. And we have the Shepherd series uh, still moving along. And we're starting uh, some new stuff. We've uh, been branching out into the more techno thriller and grounded sci-fi uh, type stuff. Our first techno thriller called Sandbox is coming out uh, this summer, in fact. So we have a lot of projects. And then the exciting thing is uh, we're actually gonna be uh, posting some interesting new information uh, coming up uh, about some media stuff. You know, we view ourselves not as novelists, but as storytellers. In the right. modern world, I think that you want to be a storyteller with a broad reach. You're going to have to be the kind of person who can tell your stories in, in different venues. And we've been very blessed that uh, we've had a great number of opportunities, which we'll be talking about on, uh, on our website and social media very, very soon. Um, we have several TV shows and, and films in the works, including an option that we just sold on the tier one series uh, to the Cross Brothers. So lots awesome. of stuff going on to keep us busy. There's um, no vacations in sight for us right now. I know. Well, if you're if you're doing something you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And that's, that's clearly what the goal is. Now, if people want to follow you on all, all of the exciting things that are happening in your careers, what's the best way they can do that? The best place to go is to our website, andrews-wilson.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter there. And that way you'll get access to any new news first. So we always tend to break the news through our newsletter. Okay. We're not going to spam your inbox. We only do, you know, maybe one or two a quarter uh, on our right. newsletter. But also, you know, we do have an Instagram account, which is Andrews and Wilson. That's the same uh, handle as our Facebook account. And then on Twitter, we're B Andrews J Wilson. So you can reach us there too. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you both so much for being here. 
today. I know the audience has been uh, has learned a lot by listening to you. And uh, I also know that your books have been featured uh, on reviews from bestsellerbooks.com. And uh, the good people over there are the place for everybody to go for uh, updates on some of the best thrillers and giveaways being offered today. Thank you for joining us for yet another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you very much. See you next time, everybody. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.